Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. So I want to start with a disclaimer that this is not a substitute for mental health services. I strongly recommend that you seek out services in your area to work on your unique issues. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. So here we are today, and this podcast, which is right now being recorded in January, is going to be coming out in February. So this is part of my little contributions to Black History Month. And the subject matter we're talking about today is one that I've always had a fascination after a friend introduced me to the works of Octavia Butler, the aspect of Afrofuturism. And we have many examples of that from the classic Sun Ray to presently today, everything we've had with the Black Panther series, as well as the the continuing works of the artist Janelle Monet. We're here today, and I'm gonna bring on my guest shortly, Dr. Lonnie, Avery, uh, Avery Book, Brooks, to talk about Afrofuturism and mental health. So Dr. Lonnie, I'm just gonna say Johnny, Lonnie J. Brooks is a, uh, is the, uh, of course my tongue is just getting tongue tied today all together. Uh, he is a summer chair of 2019 Department of Communication, an associate professor in strategic communications and media studies and depart- uh, the Department of Communications at California State University East Bay. He is a creative director for the Afro Rhythms Future Group. He is a resident Afrofuturism and co-producer and co-creator with Ahmad Bess, host and, uh, host and co-executive producer and co-creator of the Afrofuturist podcast with Ahmad Best. Uh, he is the creative director of the California Black Speculative Arts Movement and Black Speculative Arts Movement Futures, board director and organizer. He is the research affiliate for the Institute of the Future, a member of the Long Now Research Fellow, co-designer and co-director of Afro Rhythms for the Future Game, and part of the editorial book for the Handbook of Universal Foresight. Dr. Lonnie Brooks, welcome to Untying Knots. Thank you. It's great to be here, too. Good to have you. <laughs> so how did you get not only to being a professor and the doctorate, but your interest in Afrofuturism? Well, you know, um, my interest in Afrofuturism was just really based on being, a, growing up as a, as a, as a, as a nerd and uh, from a very, like, uh, feeling of being a Black diasporan, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a strange world, in a sense, too. Um, I mean, I grew up with Star Trek posters on my wall, but um, I responded to a call for uh, an anthology called Afrofuturism 2.0, The Rise of Astro Blackness. Mm-hmm. And um, what called me to it was merging my interest in futures research with the vision, the past, present, and future of the Black diaspora. Mm-hmm. And um, in time, those interests together was amazing to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I contributed a th- an essay called... Mm-hmm. Um, playing a minority forecaster in search of Afrofuturism mm-hmm. where I this future Stuart Brand. Mm-hmm. And see, I, um, I am, a, I, I became, um, I studied the Institute for the Future. It's a think tank that uh, looks at the future and um, it does uh, scenar- future scenarios for Fortune 500 companies and mm-hmm. foundations and government institutions. And, you know, when I stepped into that space in the late 90s, I was, um, I was one of the few Black people around, you know, um, and when I, and I felt that these visions didn't necessarily speak to me, they spoke mm-hmm. to, and, you know, um, upper class white people mainly, um, and maybe to a global audience, but it really didn't necessarily center the Black diaspora. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, that's where I thought, you know, I could really contribute 
a perspective on what it means to be black and thinking mm -hmm. about the future. So Afrofuturism is about um, <clears throat> leveraging the past, what I call ancestral intelligence, mm -hmm. um, undiscovered stories. And the idea of Afrofuturism is kind of like retelling the narrative of our journey. You know, we can think of it as how we came to the Americas as enslaved people. And we can think of it as a scientific science fiction horror story. Mm -hmm. Think of it like this, where black people in the millions were taken from their home planet in West Africa and transported across a vast interstellar sea, the Atlantic, mm -hmm. with the latest in bondage technologies, right, to keep us enslaved aboard these mm -hmm. ships, fed mm -hmm. up just so that we could you know, become labor in the Americas. Once we arrive there, we are faced with total erasure. Mm -hmm. We'd be killed for speaking our languages, for playing our music, for practicing our religion. And there we became, we were aliens and mm -hmm. become hybrid innovators in a new world. Mm -hmm. And even with the imposition of Christian Christianity upon us, you know, that replaced our tribal traditions, we took hymnals from the Christian mm -hmm. and transformed them into spirituals. Mm -hmm. Now I see spirituals as visions of the future, of an uncolonized future that you know, we call Zion, mm -hmm. where we are not enslaved. And these spirituals become our vibranium. Mm -hmm. If you've seen the Black Panther film, the vibranium is what powers the nation of Wakanda in that mm -hmm. film mm -hmm. with the gadgets. But the vibranium really is this cultural engine that we have. And the spirituals then lay, the, lay down the foundations for jazz, for rock, rap, hip hop, um, house music, um, that become that have become part of every influential genre on the planet, you mm -hmm. know, that has some form of black music, black culture within it. And so that's our vibranium. That's our cultural future vision. And that's the essence of Afrofuturism, where we're leveraging our ancestral intelligence in, and augmenting it into the future. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, the Black Panther uh, movie is a good example of that, but it, it goes way back, right, to Sun mm -hmm. Ra, the jazz musician. Mm -hmm. He thought of himself as from another planet, reinvented himself um, in re-seeing the world. And then we have Samuel Delaney, science fiction authors like that, and Octavia Butler, of course, mm -hmm. um, you know, Greg Tate, cultural critic, um, and others too. And, you know, N.K. Jemison now and Nnedi Okorafor mm -hmm. as well too. But we also have uh, an array of, of, of Black futurists who, you know, we may not see as futurists too, but are coming into the fore as Afrofuturists mm -hmm. well, across the science, across uh, literature, music, art. And so there's a radical vision of Black art. And so that radical vision of Black art uh, debuted in a stunning exhibit called, um, it was called the Unveiling Visions, the Alchemy of the Black Imagination mm -hmm. at the Schoenberg Center for Black Research in New York City in 2015. And mm -hmm. that was um, co-curated by John Jennings and Ronaldo Anderson. And it was a stunning exhibit. And so they transformed that into what's called the Black Speculative Arts Movement or BSAM. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And I, uh, I was asked by Ronaldo to, to organize a Black Speculative Arts Movement conference in Oakland, you know, through my campus uh, in Hayward. And so we, we, We've done it about three times and it's been, it's like this festival conference where we bring um, black artists who are thinking, you know, who are doing Afrofuturist art and music and uh, liter literary work and even the sciences mm -hmm. to talk about what does a black future look like? How do we augment that? You know, how does an Africana future look like that, you know, is part of, not only including the Black diaspora, but Africa as well. So the Black Speculative Arts Movement at the moment is one of the growest, fastest growing movements of its kind in the world. So Canada has embraced it and now has its own chapter. Brazil recently adopt, uh, started its own chapter. It's one of the largest chapters in the world. It's gone to South Africa, Cameroon, Nigeria, Kenya, and they're taking it and transforming what we call Afrofuturism 2.0 into Afrofuturism 3.0, adapting mm -hmm. it for the Black continent. For the African mm -hmm. continent. 
it's been embraced in Europe, in Germany, Spain, Italy, the UK, and now even in Australia. So it's um, so what that has led me to as well is uh, co-creating a game mm-hmm. called Afro Rhythms from the Future. And it's based on uh, a game that Stuart Candy created called The Thing from the Future. And when we played this game, um, I wanted to, I played this game with students at my campus at Cal State East Bay in a game jam that my uh, colleague Ian Pollock had created too. Mm-hmm. And we played this game, The Thing from the Future, and we hacked it up. Um, the idea is that you have uh, different scenarios of the future. Um, what does the future look like as transformational? And then you have a mood for the future. What does it look like emotionally? And then you have a context for the future. What does childhood or identity look like in the future? And then you have an object from the future. Like it could be a book, a film, a postcard. And what happens when you mash them all together? What do you get as an artifact from the future? So if you took um, you know, a postcard, education, uh, optimism, and transformation, what does a postcard look like that represents all those things? What my students noticed when we did this um, jam session with them is they're predominantly women, predominantly mm-hmm. uh, women of color. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Beyonce's uh, Lemonade album had just come out and they were like, with the mood, they were like, well, you know, Kanye's a mood, Beyonce's a mood, you know, Netflix is a mood, but these categories weren't represented in the things in the future game at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were like, well, where's the black diaspora? Where's LGBTQ, you know? Um, and then for objects, they were like, well, where's the handbag, you know? <laughs> so it wasn't represented, quite represented in the thing from the future game. Mm. And I just realized then like, oh, you know, what we, what the future really needs is a cultural accent. We need to represent ourselves in the future, you know, 10 times more than is present already. Mm. So that's where the idea of creating Afro rhythms from the future. And it's not just rhythm as in musical rhythm, but it's algorithm. R-I-T-H-M-S, Afro-Rhythms, because we're surrounded by Afro-Rhythms every day. And, you know, we're surrounded by algorithms every day, right? But those algorithms, those recipes for um, how computers do things and how we operate with computers don't center us, center Black people in them as much as they can and should. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the idea of Afro-Rhythms from the future came from. So as you're talking about that and all of it, it's like, I would even go further to say life rhythms, because we are controlled by the circadian rhythms, the abilities of when we eat, when to defecate, all of those things are also rhythms that even predate music as well as the electronics that we were around, which now makes me wonder, because of everything you're saying there is, is there perhaps we need to take a different word or a different explanation to talk about when we're talking about mental health in relation to Afrofuturism? Yeah, I think, I think you know, the idea that, um, you know, there's, there's research in neuroscience around gaming mm-hmm. that I find really interesting and uh, draw from where we actually, and this is, is also through my colleague, Jake Dunnigan, who discusses this as well where um, they've done MRI studies of our brain where the same regions where we have memory, we also think about the future. And what happens is that like when we stare and look into a scene, we see more than is there in that scene. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. More. And that's called a boundary extension error. Mm-hmm. And we do it all the time. And that's our capacity for looking into the future. Now, what if in gaming and especially in forecast imagination games, we can imagine and have alternative memories of the future that could heal trauma. And that's where I think the connection to mental health is really exciting mm-hmm. as we can imagine like spirituals have and that have sustained us in our, in our musical culture. Um, this vibranium that has sustained us is to create alternative memories of the future that we can implement, mm-hmm. you know, and that we can heal our memories of trauma by building onto it. You know, we have, and there's so many examples of where black people have um, recovered their identities uh, 
after slavery, right? They've created towns, they've created educational institutions, um, only to be erased too by white supremacy. But at the same time, our capacity is there to keep reinventing and keep becoming and being hybrid innovators of the future. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's where I get excited about how we can heal trauma through Afrofuturism, through really gaining more muscle in being even more intentional about how we create the future. Beautiful, very beautiful. So why do you, why do you think that the idea of mental health or whatever we need, name we need to now give it hasn't been a bigger theme in uh, Afrofuturism work, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think there's like just spaces that it, it, it's been going through in order to even like claim space mm-hmm. for the 21st century. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what Afrofuturism has tried to do is like say, you know, we do have a future because, you know, even uh, uh, Alicia Wormsley's uh, poster, there are black people in the future, mm-hmm. you know, uh, became so controversial. Like, why? Why is that? Like, even trying to, you know, uh, have that argument, you know, mm-hmm. uh, was like, that's not, a, that, that's just a profound conclusion. Right. You know, and a lot of folks have, have thought that, you know, even my, my partner and uh, colleague in uh, the Afro Rhythm Futures Group, co-founder uh, Ahmed Best, you know, he talks about how he's, well, he played Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars. So he's faced the erasure and backlash mm-hmm. of that character. Uh, and in that, you know, he's gone to studios where he's pitched um, like a Star Trek, com- a black Star Trek comedy and studios have said to him, well, black people aren't interested in the future. I'm like, whoa. Oh, you know? yeah. So just finding those spaces that we even have a claim to the future mm-hmm. kind of probably diminished, you know, to talk about, mental health mm-hmm. mental health is actually at the core of afrofuturism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's about you know our fundamental identity as human beings to be um to be really to leverage our ancestral intelligence that what um i love what wb du bois talks about um because he was a science fiction writer not many people know that in 1908 he created a series of stories called the prince of steel and he has this uh, instrument called the megascope that looks for undiscovered stories. And the idea of the undiscovered story is that we are so rich in our stories about the past, present, and future as an African diaspora and African peoples, you know, that uh, those undiscovered stories are what can fuel our souls, what can mm-hmm. help us in treating our trauma, being enslaved, and being impoverished in how we can rise above that, you know? And um, what gives me inspiration is like even thinking about, you know, the Dagon uh, tribe in Mali mm-hmm. has a origin myth of itself as coming from another planet, from Sirius B. Mm-hmm. And it's only recently the astronomers have confirmed that Sirius B does exist. Mm-hmm. They knew about it with an unaided eye. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, whoa, there's something so interesting about that, right? And it, but it shows you how we have this knowledge, even in our textiles, you know, there are fractal textiles that have mm-hmm. recursions of patterns within them. Well, that actually laid the, laid the foundation um, of modern computing. That knowledge, and it was done, it was also through sand divination and textiles. It came to Europe. And when European mathematicians discovered this recursive loop of fractals, they, it blew their minds. And it laid the foundation for fractal geometry and modern computing. It actually comes from the spirit of Africa, you know? And so finding these undiscovered stories actually heals me every day because it's like, oh my God, you know, we have so much. And to really center ourselves and to center ourselves in the algorithms that surround us today is so mm. important. So, yeah. And especially how we even create our, the, 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 algorithms and the stories as you said the undiscovered stories which are also the stories that we are one we're getting have fed to us by the ancestors but also the ones that we are being sparked by experiences in the here and now i mean i'm a 
tabletop role-playing player and i was have been last several years i was running a game um for dungeons and dragons using their quote-unquote african setting it's got problems that i basically had to go in there and rebuild entire sections of it for to have an actual modern society appropriate for the time and then as i'm playing the game with my players i suddenly realized oh, I'm playing out a sl the Underground Railroad story here. I'm playing the Back to Africa movement re re rebuilding uh, Liberia in this storyline. It's like, how many other storylines was I un unwittingly at the time pulling from history and putting into my game for this shared storytelling? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true. It's like... Um you know, we can we can leverage and imagine and rebuild and reinvent. I mean, the whole thing is, you know, um, when we talk about the game at Furthers in the future is like, how can we have fun ending white supremacy? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and it's not like we're uh, people have to be blamed, but it, it creates a whole new space outside of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. like, the way forward for our mental health is for everybody's mental health really is for white supremacy to end. Mm -hmm. It's really it's hurting white people. It's themselves too it's limiting it's limiting people's capacity to invent the future and what we need are is a global solution uh for the future that you know includes and liberates everyone definitely know? definitely and as you're saying that it just made me think about a couple of other things i know i've seen um a book and it's in my amazon list Qlist, that is talking about black fractal for um structures that was in um that was built into the houses as well i can't i'd have to go dig it up the one as possible there and how that again was being recognized by a white mathematician and computer programmer um and another one i was just listening to the backlog of a, another D, D uh podcast called three black halflings Ooh. yeah you want to listen to that one start from the beginning but they recently had um or not recently, at least one point, they had someone on who was talking about the racism that's coded into the stories from Tolkien. And he was talking about some of the other games that he'd done. And one of them was inspired by Sun Ra about fighting racism as being these cultural uh, touchstones who, had who were materializing in these various situations to help people go forward. And from a therapy standpoint, that is that standpoint of externalization. That is that standpoint of, uh, of us as going with the classic, what would so-and-so do? All of these things have always been present. They've just, again, never had that, um, so, so I would say the headline in an Afrofuturism story around our mental health, even though it's always been there. Like I always thought, but we just never would have been talking about it so true god that's so interesting i mean i think uh that that first book you were talking about is mm -hmm. from e glass okay uh, uh who's a mathematician talking about um african fractals african textiles and fractals and his protege is actually natrice gaskins uh uh who um who does work she works with uh ai deep dream technology mm -hmm. and art Oh. And she just has a book coming out uh, called uh, the, the Vernacular of the Imagination, something along those lines. I'm butchering the title at the moment, mm -hmm. but has this wonderful exhibit that she uh, co-curated um, at the Smithsonian right now called Futures. And yeah. her, her art is this kaleidoscope of fractal uh, geometry, you know, mm. uh, and, and she does portraits of of uh, famous uh, black leaders and celebrities and it's just so inspiring um so and then you what you just said about the black halflings right yeah i'll send you the link once we're done here uh, so you can start listening to them but um and i'll send you the one specifically for the episode i had just been listening to over the holiday break where they were talking about this and as it was that uh, during the holiday break i'd gone to uh the oakland museum to see the mothership exhibit yeah and i had just recently listened to that like two or three days earlier to hear them talk about that and then go to the exhibit and see sun ra as part of it it's like like yes i'm listening to the universe i'm listening to the ancestors the mothership is such an important 
idea because it's kind of like um you know the mothership of the Dagon, right mm-hmm. the mothership of uh, george clinton right mm-hmm. um and, and kind of landing in on earth in black joy you know mm-hmm. uh, and that the mothership is that repository of ancestral intelligence that we have you know um and and it, uh, that repository of undiscovered stories that you know were erased during colonialism too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um i think recovering that is a, is is a pathway towards uh in, improved increased liberating mental health beautiful yeah very much so it's <laughs> again how the, the thread is always there but we don't always recognize it's recognize it the way so many people are used to thinking about it as such yeah because we grow up i mean like um for instance well there's a term i coined called afrofuture tope or afrofuture mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. it's in the sentence of black visions but then it's there's simultaneous erasure as well mm-hmm. like hidden figures the film the hidden figures is a, such a good example of that right like mm-hmm. black women mathematicians uh engineers and computer scientists that were charting the directory of white astronauts in 1960s nasa mm-hmm. haven't heard about until decades afterwards mm-hmm. you know and that they were these vibrant women that made these enormous contributions right mm-hmm. and even uh tulsa oklahoma as the Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't grow up hearing about that until recently, you know, and then like seeing how it was in ascendance and then erased, you mm-hmm. know, by Which him. has been big themes in both the Watchmen series as well as Lovecraft Country. Yes. Which has really woken so many people up to it. And I can think of one of the other examples of that, which was an earlier episode in Star Trek Deep Space Nine beyond the stars where cisco is uh the character of cisco is creating the deep space nine stories and they pulp the entire um, book that he's writing on so that it doesn't get published oh my god okay so you gotta go back and watch deep space nine What's that? oh yes i think there was like uh around episode uh, no uh, season four or so forth that's when they start when he's starting to get the messages from the emissaries to try and teach him and prepare him for what's going to come in the future and even there we have the aspect of some consider that the religions of, of bajor destroyed cisco but it's like no this is fundamentally also a black story of our connection with spirit wow as wow. well how does it communicate with us and how can it also be used to blind us Oh man, I gotta watch that again. Okay. <laughs> so you know, I think that's the place where we should take a break. <laughs> okay. So uh, come back and, and listen to the rest of us as we talk here on Untying Knots: Minds and Souls Untethered with Dr. Lonnie J. Brooks and Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. So we'll be right back. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Do you have knots? Not the physical tightness in your neck and back, and not the ones on a rope, but metaphors for the helpful and unhelpful tugs in life that can help us ascend to a new level or stop us from falling too far back down. Join host Perry Clark for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered, a program about mental health and its practice from an indigenous person of color. We'll help you find the knots that help you and avoid the ones that don't. Listen for new episodes every other week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Live up to your fullest potential. 
This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm here talking with with Dr. Lonnie J. Brooks, uh, the and we are continuing our conversation about Afrofuturism and mental health. So then during our quick break here, we were talking about a couple of things. But one of the things was uh, on how you sort of came to be. And I know we talked a little about in the first half, but there's some other specifics that I think you wanted to go into. Yeah, you know, um, I want to say like the African diaspora is something that probably also never gets fully nuanced about too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, because I'm discovering um, in my, you know, I'm in my 50s now. So like, I'm really learning how to express my full identity of being black. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm black, Jewish and Native American. And that's important to me because it just represents how vast the African diaspora is and how long its lineage is going, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, I'm part of a synagogue where we're actively uh, dismantling white supremacy within the Jewish, uh, my Jewish synagogue and part of a, you know, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion committee in doing that. Um, but not only that, when I say I grew up with Star Trek posters on my wall, mm-hmm. I also grew up with a, a visual disability where I was very nearsighted until just 10 years ago. And um, what Star Trek gave me, you know, and seeing the next generation with mm-hmm. Lieutenant Forge, mm-hmm. uh, and his his band that allows the visor. Him to see, the visor that allows him to see through his blindness, it 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 always sparked that idea that technology could expand my world. Mm-hmm. You know, I have uh, juvenile diabetes as well that I got when I was like eleven or twelve, and you know technology was another pathway that science, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that science, insulin was only discovered in nineteen twenty one. Right. So it's like the idea that we could survive and live with new technologies that really influenced. And not only that, but that like we have a spectrum of identities mm-hmm. that we carry with us, too. And I have a daughter who's half Filipina, you know, and all of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's a whole other spectrum of of range of identities that I think is really important to think about when we think about the future and how the future is going to hold um, our vast array of, of identities that mm-hmm. we express and celebrate and not be, you know, ashamed of, right? Mm-hmm. So that's um, been part of my journey in doing this and, and, and fueled my desire to think about a future that is very expressive, very liberating, um, that we can find ways that, you know, Native American traditions can inform us about as well. Mm-hmm. Too. So, I've, um, so that's, you know, part of what uh, I've been looking at. And, you know, so when I came to the Institute for the Future, it was like, how do I bring this into being? And mm-hmm. we actually, um, I had the opportunity to do this festival in the Encanto neighborhood of mm-hmm. San Diego, mm-hmm. where I was a PhD PhD student at the time at UC San Diego, we created um, a storytelling festival where Black activists from that neighborhood were able to tell their stories of the future, but we did it within like a tent setting Mm -hmm. and cultural groups that came to, you know, fill the space with music and uh, imagination. Mm -hmm. And we did it in in, uh, alliance with the Institute for the Future, Mm -hmm. sponsored it all, and the Center for Digital Storytelling. So that was in 2001. That was a kind of a peak into mm-hmm. what I think the Black Speculative Arts Movement actually is today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The festival conference where we celebrate the Black imagination. And um, so, you know, in that, I can say that I've been so 
grateful for some of the um, support that I've had from different people, um, especially um, my colleagues, like Ahmed Best mm-hmm. and his brother-in-law texted me and said, hey, you know, my, my brother-in-law, Ahmed Best would like to talk to you. And at, and the second line was, and he played Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, we got to talking through FaceTime three hours mm-hmm. later, we created the Afrofuturist podcast. Mm-hmm. And I've and, listened to a few episodes. Oh yeah, great, thank you. And uh, and then we connected with the Fathomers organization, which is a research foundation that uh, supports projects that don't usually get made. They're a creative research foundation. And they supported in, us in creating um, Afrorhythms in the future. And that game actually came about through um, this really interesting lab called Dynamic Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was on Ninth and Broadway in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And it was about creating a communal computer where we didn't have to be on our screens. Mm-hmm. We had computers that were like projectors on the ceilings and then projected onto pieces of paper that transformed them into playable media. Oh, so we very could nice. talk computing over tables rather than just being on our phones and our computer laptops. And that's where I met one of my collaborators, Eli Kosminski, mm-hmm. and a co-creator of the game as well. And we brought the game um, to the Institute for the Future in conjunction with Ahmed, and we had some plans from the Fathomers to help us bring the game forward. But I'll never mm-hmm. forget when Ahmed stood up and said, hey guys, you know, will you mind if I help and see this with you? Mm-hmm. And he, he just was so engaging with folks at that moment, we had an Afrofuturist festival, a Black Speculative Arts Festival at the Institute for the Future uh, in 2019. And it was- I think um, that's the one I came to. That's where I first heard about the African Rams and that's where I first saw you. That's when- Oh, wow. Yeah, I was in, in the background, in the audience watching that. Oh. Well, you know, one of my graduate students, she she came up with this idea of what if you, what if you scanned you had an ancestral tattoo and you scanned it across an ATM machine and you got reparations. Yes, yes, I remember hearing that one. <laughs> wow. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> I'm so glad you were there. Oh my God. So I'll never forget what Ahmed said. He said, A reparations tattoo? I think you just won the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, and so that's what also like after, like, um, after we had the panels, you could go downstairs and play with mm-hmm. the different simulations. They had a virtual reality simulation and different art. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole, this, there's this, you know, Palo Alto, in Palo Alto, the Institute for mm-hmm. based, and it has this, you know, office space above. And then below, there's this whole cavernous exploration space that they built, you know, and they had this thing, this virtual reality simulation from Hyphen Labs called Neurospeculative Afrofeminism. I'll never forget when I put it on because the idea is that you're in a hair salon mm-hmm. and that your hair connects to this, this mothership of, of memories, Com- collective kind of through our hair memories of the past, present, and future of the Black diaspora in African, Africa. When I experienced that, I was like, I need this therapy on a daily basis. Like, whoa. I just felt so calm and soothing mm-hmm. and I just opened my mind up to like mm-hmm. how much Afrofuturism can act as a self, as a healing uh, agent. So as you're describing that and that, because I, unfortunately I missed it when I visited, um, you need to, I think you might find it interesting to meet Silo 919 from the Into the Motherlands podcast and game. Oh, yeah. Into the Motherlands. Oh, my God. I want to play that game. So do I. And I, <laughs> I, I I'm, my money went into kickstarting it. So, <laughs> so well, maybe we need to get together and have a game session on it. Uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. I mean, because, you know, even before I saw that, Into mm-hmm. the Motherlands, I saw another one through the indigenous perspective called Coyote and Crow. Oh, yes. Kickstarted that one as well. Waiting I, for the I, book to come out. I, yeah, I just got mine. I just got mine. <laughs> oh, I gotta go check my mail. Yeah. <laughs> it is a brilliant, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the Black Speculative Arts Movement through an indigenous lens because the illustrations are amazing and mm-hmm. the backstory is too. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I mean, I was amazed at that. How I, that started out at like I think twenty five thousand and went to like two million or something. Something on that aspect. <laughs> Did you also see the other one called Odorum, which was uh early? It was done. It was done closer to I think two thousand eight and nineteen which was another of the game systems that was put on a Kickstarter, another one I kickstarted, and I'm actually showing in the uh, book I have right now, but you should be able to get that as well. Wow, that's so beautiful. Oh, my God. Yeah. Look at that. Wow. So I would say the TTRP uh, landscape has been a very good place for developing more of that content for going into the imagination. Yes. And TTRP refers to tabletop role playing. And that's, you know, I kind of think of Alphorhythms from the Future, our game, as sort of um, a TTRP, you know, role playing game, but on the fly mm-hmm. that you can do with events and organizations, mm-hmm. people. Because another thing that, we, that we've created um, with my colleague at um, the uh, Museum of Children's Arts in Oakland is we've actually created a community future school mm-hmm. with the help of a grant from the um, Blue Shield Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm this to Rachel Wick, who is a senior board member who approached me after seeing my talk on Afrofuturism. She said, you know, what can we do to look about, she wanted to talk to me about Afrofuturism. Together we said, mm-hmm. what, what would it be like to have a network of the imagination in California? A mm. network of the imagination that would center marginalized voices and really speak to community visions of the future. Mm. And so as a small kind of prototype of this, we created the community future school for uh, high schoolers and young adults. And so we're in our second year of that. And we're looking at creating a youth manifesto for envisioning Oakland for 2045. Beautiful. And so it's playing the game Afro-Rhythms in the future and then generating prototypes of their visions across art, society, technology, mm-hmm. environment, politics, and society about what does Oakland look like in 2045. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's sort of like our, our, our attempt at kind of playing a total role-playing game, but, you know, with the students as they're creating it. Beautiful. And another one that comes to mind is uh, Alan Walker's Edgegore. Now, it's more Native American-based, but he is a Black Lakota man. So there's another one where, again, imagining a very different future that is not centered in Western Euro fantasy. Wow. What's it called again? Edgegore. I'll send you the link for it. I have it. I just It's on the shelf, and I can't reach it at the moment. I just want to like, give a shout-out to the Afro-futurist artists that we work with in the mm-hmm. game, too, like Alan Clark, who's a local... Uh, Oakland artist um, who's moving soon to Oregon, but then a name Brown, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, uh, another one is a uh, Karen. Uh, uh, oh, I'm, I'm butchering her name now. <laughs> Karen uh, Corafor. Oh, Senorofuro. Sorry, Karen. Karen and Malik. They're amazing artists. Karen created the um, Black Woman as God. Mm-hmm. that's going on in some arts right now and she is amazing they're both amazing um in terms of their afrofuturist visions but even that even calling an exhibit black women as god to me is another way of of expanding our mental health mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where we see black women for who they are you know as goddesses as you know in the rightful place as opposed to the very limiting view of pathology of disease, which is what's built much of what a lot of mental health built originally out of, and is still being tried to be shoehorned into, as there are those of us who seek to go beyond that. Yeah. So right. I think that's a perfect segue into the question as one of the constants on this program, which is myths and realities. So what would you say is one of the myths and real- myths that comes up around mental health, especially for Black mental health? Well, you know, I'm, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, mental health was usually seen by my parts of my community and in the Black community as something that was like white people's medicine, like, oh, no, 
<laughs> you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're doing it ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. we need that stuff. Uh, plus we can't afford it. So mm-hmm. how does it apply to us? Uh, but I, I kind of grew up knowing that everyone could use a therapist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like someone to talk to that you could have confidence in and find a liberating vision to live into. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I still think there's barriers to it, right? Like, you know, um, I, I, I'm a member of Kaiser. Their mental health is not accessible to many people, oh. right? Yeah. Uh, and you have to pay for it. You know, yeah. why isn't that just a right? I don't understand. Like, that should just be a right of birth, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was just dealing with uh, the other day a consultation with somebody who is trying to get there is a lot of stuff that they need to work on. And I'm hearing they're going to Kaiser and it's like, uh, honey, I think you're going to need to do more. You need more work here than what you're going to get over there. I hate to say you're going to have to pay for this, but you, to really do this, you're going to need the consistency. And consistency is one of the biggest things that makes mental health work. Because it's just, it's the building of the trust. It's the building of being able to dig in and find what has become maladaptive, what was taken in the wrong way, so they can be going in a different direction. Uh, I know a conversation I've had with a couple of other interviewers uh, is that standpoint, I know we were talking at one point talking about how the cracking epidemic of the 80s just devastated our communities. And the thing that I think most people forget is all of the damage that was that that did there was, there was already essentially mental health issues going on beforehand that the crack just became the escape. Right. And the, the thing that comes, comes to mind is how much of that generation that, got, that fell prey to it is a generation that was born after all the trauma of the civil rights period? Yeah. How much of that, that, that trauma get encoded into that generation? Just like for, the, for your Jewish heirs, is how much trauma was encoded in after the Holocaust? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question because, you know, like the Black Panther Party itself to me is sort of like, you know, uh, part of when I was in school it was seen as like, it was talked about as if it was a terrorist organization mm-hmm. when it was a liberating movement, you know, that mm-hmm. fed children, that... Mm-hmm. You know, was improving people's mental health you know? mm-hmm. and then you know also got sidelined by what we are finding out was a conspiracy to intentionally introduce drugs into the black community to a race once to, more yes yes by the nixon administration you know and and it's just like realizing the appalling nature of white supremacy and how it's worked to try to hold us back mm-hmm you know, really makes me think, you know, how, how do we create our own system through Afrofuturism mm-hmm. that obliterates white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. That in, includes the fundamental, like, I mean, the Black Panther Party, 10 points mm-hmm. is so today. Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds so radical, but like, it's not radical. You know, it's, mm-hmm. just, you know, it, you know, have reparations and into police brutality, have, you know, complete access to to education and healthcare, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, yes, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I always think that in some way a baby should be born with like whatever, you know, discounting inflation, be born with a trillion dollars and access to all the care it needs. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and that like to heal is at the center of Afrofuturism, to heal and create alternative memories of the future that heal our trauma and that augmented ourselves, you know, into the future. Um, because yeah. we list, we exist in the future. Yeah, we exist in the future for sure. And that's why, you know, like I'm, I'm inspired by, you know, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, very much, <laughs> very Cedric, much. You know, such a queerness too. Mm-hmm. Like queer stories play out on that show. Um, you know, having the the main character be of the strong black woman a black you know goddess practically <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and equally to consider in this current season she is essentially dating a black alien oh that's the thing that that, yes. that, 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 that was like suddenly dawned on me is like yes charles book 
is a black alien from yeah. a different planet, not Earth, entirely different history, not necessarily trapped up with all the aspects of the diaspora and the history we have yeah. that she's having a relationship with and dealing with the mental aspects of, a, of grief. Right. Yeah. Right. He, you know, yeah, he's dealing with his planet eventually being obliterated, mm-hmm. dealing with being, you know, a thousand years or whatever, seven thousand years from her, the current from time. The, mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. well as the fact that she's been able to reconnect with her mother, who she thought was dead. Right. Oh, my God. This is so rich. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, as the conversation I'm having with another colleague who's also a friend was this aspect of, as was said in this most recent season, um, the psych evaluation on her was a someone who went through a massive trauma and now needs to rescue everybody. Oh, right. Yeah. And that becomes a very critical thing when you are in a command position and you have to make the life and death decisions. Yeah. And are struggling with the question of the good of the one or the good of the many. Mm-hmm. And how can you have both? Right. It's so interesting how she how she enters the future first. Mm-hmm. She has to do all the adaptation, mm-hmm. and so she's kind of learned to like to buck the rules you mm-hmm. know, to to kind of reinvent herself. Mm-hmm. She's had to reinvent herself. Yeah. She she got for like even though she purposely chose it, she crossed the Atlantic. Yes, yes, right. It's like a whole African diaspora reborn mm-hmm. into the future. And her family is the crew of Discovery. Wow, right, right, yeah. So food for thought, folks. And with that, we need to be wrapping up. So Dr. Brooks, thank you for coming on here and having this conversation. And I look forward to, I think we may need to have a part two to this. I'd love it. Thank you so much. All righty. So where can people find you if they wanted to connect with you more? Yeah, you know, I'm on Twitter at uh, Avi Lani. That's Mm A-V-I-L-O-N-N-Y. And also on Instagram with the same. And we also have um, AfroRhythmsFromTheFuture.org as our game site. So you can leave messages with us there too. Perfect. Uh, Yeah. So thank you. Perfect. So... Thank you very much. And folks, keep listening. And I hope you've enjoyed this for uh, Black History Month as well. And keep listening. we got some more conversations coming up. So Thank you. Be well. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.